This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. Um, we are going to be in 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9. So if you want to flip there really quick. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Pray with me. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are the most loving person that we will ever come into contact with. Um, Lord, thank you for the example that you've set for us. Thank you that you've shown us hospitality every second of every day. Like reading your word, we get to see the perfect example of love and the perfect example of hospitality. Um, And so I just ask that today you would show us more of what that looks like, that you would guide the words of the people who are speaking today, um, that we would just hear what you have to say, Lord, and we would walk out being prepared to be like, the most hospitable and loving people that this campus has ever seen, that Lexington has ever seen. Like, Lord, we just want to look like you. Um, We want to represent you well. Yeah, Lord, we're just really grateful for you. And um, yeah, I ask that we would walk away from today looking more like you than we have before. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, my name is Luke Warford. I get to call Commonwealth City home have for for since the very beginning of Commonwealth. Uh, also, just super humbled just to to be able to be a deacon here at Commonwealth City and just to call this place home and to call you family. Then I got asked to just come and to share like what hospitality is, what it means to me, uh, why I think it's important, and why Scripture just invites us into just what it looks like to be hospitable people uh, for the glory of God for his kingdom. And so, um, yeah, in regards to hospitality, when I, when I think of, of it, um, it, what comes to mind is just this idea, uh, to just be a servant. I think when you, when you really look into scripture, um, what you see to, to be hospitable is to be someone who is willing to welcome in people, whether it's a friend, whether it's a foreigner, whether it's a stranger, whether it's an enemy, uh, whether it's a family. It's to, to welcome someone into our hearts, into our homes, and into our lives. Uh, and I think hospitality, it really does, it, it changes people. Um, for, for me, I get the unique opportunity to, to kind of be in the hospitality industry for a living. Uh, and we get to just host people in spaces all across central Kentucky. And we have this, this phrase uh, that we, we use internally uh, in our company. It's, it's, there's always room. And that's really just birthed from just the birth story of Jesus alone. Uh, when Jesus kind of came into the scene of the world, uh, we, we read the Christmas story. The first thing we realize is that, that there was no room for him. Um, and what I, what I love about the gospel and what I love about the, the picture of, of Jesus and what he continues to do from, from entering the world all the way carried out through, throughout his ministry is that the one thing he was denied, just the fact that there was no room for him, he, he took that and he ran with it. 
and he began to, to proclaim to the world that, that, that there is room. Uh, and he invites me, and he, he invites our church family, and he invites strangers and lost people into this life of being family on purpose together, which is really, you know, the heartbeat of Commonwealth City Church, if you didn't know that. Um, and, and I think of just scripture that just kind of backs this up of, of who should we be hospitable to. So in Matthew 25, we see God just invite us in to this, this beautiful story. And he says, you know, those who are hungry, thirsty, sick, strangers, naked people, people in prison, those are the people that, that we are called as the church body to go and to just draw a circle around them and to invite them in, to invite them into our family. And, and just God's hospitality and kindness and the way in which he's loved us uh, and loves me has just been just completely life-changing. And it's the same thing that he offers to, to each and to every one of us. Uh, in our world, it's, it's really easy to live kind of with our selfie mode on and to, to make things about ourselves. Um, and I think it's kind of, instead of hospitality, we see things more through like the entertainment industry where we make it about what I've done and what I've built and what I've created and how does this serve me. But the invitation to follow Jesus is to, is to kind of turn our cameras around and to focus it on other people, to focus it on those who are lost, to draw that circle and to say, hey, you're a part of this beautiful movement. God has a place for you. He says that there, there are many rooms and he is preparing a place for all people. And all we have to do is to believe in him and to believe in the name of Jesus and the story of that and to, to walk with believers and to grow and to run the race that we're called to run. You see stories like the Samaritan woman who was at the well, who, who Jesus said, hey, there you are. I know who you are. Now, now come and follow me. And she goes to the town and she tells all of her friends that there's this guy that, that had told her all the things that she had done. And she, she, she got to taste and see how good God was in that moment. That she, could, that she would never thirst again. That she would never hunger again. That he was everything that she'd been looking for. And, and many people came to know who Jesus was because of this woman. And so I think that's just really, when, when I think about hospitality, I think about just what God is inviting us into as a church as believers, it would be those people that draw the circles. It's to be the people who, who live with the mentality of not here I am, but there you are. It's to be people who, who take, take the hinges off a door, so to speak. And I feel like in heaven, I don't think that there's going to be a bunch of doors. I think it's going to be a big house with lots of rooms and no doors because everyone's a part of this family. And so that's just my invitation to you, whether it's a neighbor whether it's a stranger, let's be willing to, to take a dose of humility because that's what it takes. And let's be willing to have conversations, to invite someone into your home, to share a meal with somebody, to pray with someone. And so what would it look like for us as a church body to do that, to come together and, and to say, hey, this isn't ours. This isn't our lives. This is all for him. It's all for his glory. Now let's go out and let's change the world. All right, I'm going to invite a couple of my friends, Josiah Calicott and Eli Wallace, to come up here with me. We're going to spend a little bit of time talking hospitality. I'm excited that you guys get to, you get to see this perspective, not just from one guy up here teaching and preaching today, but really from a, a multifaceted perspective. Now, admittedly, um, I, I had invited a couple of ladies to be part of this panel, and, um, you know, ironically, they were so busy serving that they couldn't be here for this today, all right? So uh, I just wanted to acknowledge that 
so much of, even as I was thinking through hospitality and I was like, it's going to be three dudes up on a stage. I was like, man, there are so many of the amazing examples that I've seen in this community. Those who have opened their hearts and then in their homes have been the, um, the women in this church. And, uh, and again, these are also two of the, the deacons that you're going to have serving you um, in an official capacity over the next, um, at least this next year, and excited about what the Lord's going to do in and through that ministry. But I invited Josiah and Eli very particularly as well. And I want to make sure that as we begin a talk and a conversation about hospitality, that we always make sure to start and end that conversation with the gospel. Because I love hospitality has a lot of practical ramifications. And that's great. I love the practicality of inviting people into your homes, all of those things. But, but guys, hospitality for us, the conversation begins with a God who is willing to leave his home, come to earth, be born as a baby in a manger without a place, no room for him in the end, grow up to do the most hospitable thing that was ever done, which was not to invite foes to be friends that would have been the most seismic shift in all of human history. But he invited enemies to become family. And that's what Jesus has done. He did that by removing the one thing that kept you from being family with the Father, which was your sin. And your sin had a consequence. And it was, there was no getting around it. The consequence to your sin was death. And that death was not just something as light and as momentary as your organs shutting down and you no longer breathing this side of heaven. That death meant eternal death. And he came and he took the punishment for your sin that you deserved. Guys, it, it's ironic that as we talk about opening our homes and our hearts and what it means to be people that live out a model of biblical hospitality, that the model is not kindness. It's not any of the definitions that you and I would jump to by default. The definition of biblical hospitality is love people to the point of dying on crosses for them. It's the most hospitable act that's ever happened. And I think when I, when I look around at people that do that well, I, I, think, of a, I think of these two guys. Um, I love, Josiah's been a, a guy I've just gotten to be friends with just in the past like year or so. And I've gotten to watch his intentionality. I've loved, I was having a conversation with a guy the other day who has been very fringe to kingdom community. You can tell he, he desires to belong, but was just kind of very much on the edges. I think he's only been inside of a church building once in the last little bit. And he was telling me, all of a sudden he started talking. I was like, man, how are you doing? He said, I'm actually doing really well because Josiah has invited me into his home. And I was like, really? I didn't, I didn't know you even knew Josiah that well, you know? And just, and I love, that's one of my favorite things is when I hear people, when I hear glorious gossip behind somebody's back that's positive rather than negative, that's usually a good sign. And, uh, and you do have an invitation. Be glorious gossipers. Be the kind of people that say amazing things about people behind their backs and also to their faces. And uh, another incredible model I was thinking, uh, it was uh, a few months ago, I was 
at a house in a cul-de-sac. I'd been invited by a guy named Daniel Gorash, who Daniel you know, has family even in this room, and Daniel's been part of this community for a long time, and it has gone to help plant a um, house church movement in the city of Lexington, him and his wife Angela. And he invited me. He's like, Kurt, I need some heavy lifters for the kingdom. So I go to this house. And the house was very familiar because Eli Wallace used to live in the house, but hasn't lived there in a long time. I showed up to this house to help people move. I didn't know the people that were living there. Um, I got there, and there were so many people there to help and to serve and to love on this. Um, it was, a, it was a, a couple. They had had a death in the family. The husband had to leave kind of urgently, and they had to be out of the house by a certain time. So this wife was just frantic. How am I going to get all this stuff moved? group of kingdom people come alongside her, fill up this truck in about an hour and a half. I'm sitting there in the garage, and Daniel stands up in front of everyone and says, guys, a few years ago, I moved into this neighborhood. And somebody came down, and he was so kind to me, I thought he had to be fake. And the longer I knew him, the more real I realized he is. And when he moved out of this neighborhood, he came to me, and he said, you remember how loved I made you feel when you moved here? Go and do likewise. And he looked around at us, and he said, that man's name was Eli Wallace. He's not here in this room, but he used to live in this home, and he commissioned me to go and do likewise. And I thought, man, if I could find a couple of guys who have lived that go and do likewise lifestyle, these are two men that model that well. And so with that in mind, I would love for them to get to share what the Lord has kind of been stirring on their hearts as we've been diving into hospitality even the past couple weeks. And so the first question I got for you, guys, how has God convinced you that hospitality is a gift? <laughs> um, so when Kurt, um, when Kurt asked this question, the, the word that when I was thinking about hospitality that came to my mind was um, home. And um, I think home is one of the, the sweetest words we have. Um, I think that um, when, you're, when you're at home, that it's a place where you feel unconditionally wanted, unconditionally loved, um, a place where you can be both vulnerable and safe. Um, it's a place where you're comfortable and you're cared for. And when I think about home, it, it makes me think that this is all these desires are really just a desire for God in a way. And, um, as I, as I was thinking about this, I was um, drawn to the scripture uh, in 2 Corinthians 5 that says, um, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And Another one of the scriptures that's been really sweet to me is um, when, and I think it's already been mentioned this morning, the, um, when Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And, um, but I, I see this desire for home, like even, even, as we were sitting here worshiping, like I heard the songs that we were singing and they were, they were, you are all I want. You're all I ever needed. And the, another song was your glory. God is what our hearts long for. 
And so when I think of hospitality, I think of that when we open up our homes, that we are giving a glimpse into what God is like, that we are, we are allowing people to have a taste of that satisfaction that only God can give. And the beautiful thing is that even non-believing homes are like that, that when people think of home, it is a wonderful place that glorifies God. But the beautiful thing about a Christian home is that when you invite other people into your home, that it's explicit, that they get to see God's goodness and you get to point towards the ultimate satisfaction of, of that feeling, that desire that they want to be home. Yeah, what about you, Josiah? All right, so um, with how God has convinced me that hospitality is a gift, uh, I'm going to do, so hospitality is really important to me. Um, a lot of that came from how I grew up. So I grew up in uh, Wilmore, Jessamine County, um, right by, my dad works at Asbury Seminary. Um, he's a groundskeeper there, not a professor. Everybody's like, what does he teach? It's like, oh, he takes care of the grass. But, um, uh, but it's great, because I, I, when I was in high school, I got to pull some weeds with some seminary students. And you've never had a good time until you've pulled weeds talking theology with people who are going for their master's in divinity and are really poor. Um, so we got to get to know a lot of missionaries. And a lot of times, whenever they come back in furlough, a lot of times they would come back to Asbury to speak or to raise funds or do anything. And we lived in a 900-square-foot house, had six kids. And uh, whenever the missionaries would come down, a lot of times they would stay with us. And it was a huge blessing. So I'm a little, you know, 10 through 16-year-old. And all the kids would go up. We had a, the house was like 100 years old, so they had expanded it. So you could go into the attic, and there was an, the old roof, that the new roof had just gone on top. And we would lay mattresses on there. That's where all the kids would go up. And so the, uh, the adults, missionary parents, could stay in our room because the parents' room and our room were really the only two like, big rooms in the house. And we thought it was great because like, we got to see them share at church. But whenever they came to our house, we got to hear about their daily life. We got to hear all the stuff that gets left out of a, hey, you have 15 minutes to talk in front of a congregation. And just like the hospitality of that, of them having, into our, having them in our homes, other believers coming in, it wasn't just a sharing of space. It was a coming together as the family of God in the presence of God. Because it, and it reminded me that like this world isn't our home. If I bring somebody into my house, but I don't bring them into the family of God, like the presence of God, I don't extend that to them. I haven't shown them true hospitality. Um, and so being on the receiving, it's funny, like being, I felt like I was on the receiving that end of that as a child, having other people come to like my parents' home and getting stuck in the attic, which didn't have like heat or AC. So like, but it was great because there was just our lives with other people in the body. Um, and uh, I know the, the scripture, uh, never mind, that'll come later. But, and then, so a second example was I had a, a friend uh, named Dale. Um, I, I like picking up hitchhikers. It's one of the things I do. Uh, I realize it can be dangerous, but I like to have my default posture be like, God, if you don't want me to do it, tell me. Um, so there's a guy walking down the side of the road, picked him up, ended up talking with him. He just got out of prison for theft. He was uh, 57. 
Um, he'd had his paperwork stolen. He didn't have any ID and everything. And it's, it's complicated to get your paperwork if you don't have a residential address. So anyway, I took him home with me, um, prayed about it, and he ended up staying with me for the next uh, six months. He was there whenever I met my wife. Um, she was gracious and amazing, and whenever uh, we got married, she, she prayed about it, and she's like, you know, he can stay. Because um, I was willing to be like, hey, I extended this invitation before we were together. Um, but he got, to stay, he got to sleep inside, he didn't go hungry, and I think there's a lot of value in that. But I think in a lot of ways, I failed to show him true hospitality. I gave him a room, and he did his thing, and I did my thing. And I think that hospitality is, like the gift of hospitality is extending God's kingdom to people. It's not just letting them stay in your space. Um, so that has always, and I'm not perfect at this. I, I have so much to learn about it, and I've, I've tripped up so many times in trying. But the gift to me has been that anytime I'm around people um, and trying to serve them, I get a better understanding of who God is. Because, as has been mentioned by everyone here, we're just reflecting Jesus mm-hmm. in our attempts at hospitality and bringing other people into our home. Because we are also, we kind of are cop-outs, right? We're not inviting into people into our home. We're guests inviting other guests into God's home, so. Yes, I love to, uh, you know, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. It's verse nine of 1 Peter four, and uh, just a quick review, like one of the coolest things I found in the scripture was the, the definition of hospitality. So, you know, we read words like hospitality, and, um, you know, it's a, it's a great English word, and I think it's an accurate English word, but just unique when you get into you know, the, the original languages are just so much more robust. And one thing I've, I've loved, I don't know, you know, any Greek or nothing, but um, just looking up some of these words, even on, um, got some, some apps on my phone for Bible study that just, man, that make it feel so much more profound. And the word hospitality is the word philozenos. I think that's right, philozenos. And it is, philo is a root of phileo love, like what we call brotherly love, you know, the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's that same root. And what it really is is familial love. And it's saying extend familial love to a stranger. So not just loving those who can love you back, not treating a stranger like a friend. That's not far enough. That's not biblical hospitality. Biblical hospitality is treating a stranger like family. Extending this to those, loving those who have nothing to offer you in return. And at the end of that, it says, show hospitality without grumbling. Um, why do you guys think he put the, he threw in the without grumbling and didn't just stop with the optimistic show hospitality to one another? Um, so the, the without grumbling um, when I, when I was thinking about this, my, uh, my attention was drawn to Second um, Corinthians 9, 7, where it says, um, uh, God loves a cheerful giver. And that the, the grumbling, like when you, when you give and you don't give cheerfully and you grumble about it, it ruins the gift. Because the gift is meant to be a reflection to the true giver. And God is such a, a free giver. And so when, when we don't give freely and we, we try to take back, that we end up 
um, spoiling that reflection. Um, but I was thinking about how, how much of a free giver God was. And I think it's neat how in this service that it's, there's been several times where we pointed back to Christmas and that the, um, this past Christmas, one of the things I was thinking about that was really helpful in me, um, seeing, seeing God as good and glorious was, um, to think about this, this paradox we see where for a lot of us, the places where we felt most at home are thoughts of Christmas. Like when you think back to your childhood, you have Christmas morning and you're all gathered around a tree or you're all gathered around dinner and you, you, that's where you really, you, you have these feelings of, man, that, was, that felt like home. But the interesting thing is, is that we're, when we're thinking about those things, we're celebrating a time, we're celebrating a story of when God left his home to go and be homeless. And one of the, the things that really helped me think about this was that there was a poem by G.K. Chesterton called The House of Christmas that you all can look up at some point because it is wonderful. But the, um, the idea of the poem was that we were, one of the main themes is that we're all homesick in our homes. That there's a sense where even, even when home is the best it can be on earth, that it isn't, um, it doesn't fully satisfy and that the only place where we can truly be at home is when we go and we meet the homeless God, the God who came to be in exile, and we, we find our true home with him. Um, so that I think that um, when we invite other people into our homes and, and we, we give freely and with joy and without grumbling that that's we do that because that's the way that God has treated us what about you just say yeah so um so I, I said I grew up I have uh, three younger brothers we all shared a room and we love each other no question about that we also drive each other crazy sometimes because when you're in that type of proximity sometimes you just want to go to bed and your brother has the sniffles <laughs> and it's driving you nuts <laughs> because you're tired and you want to sleep. And that's, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a nod to the practical aspect of hospitality. It's not something easy. Like, we, we've been going through this book, and there's so many difficult things that are challenged, right? Like, you have, um, talks about, like, wives submit your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. We look at those and we go, that's a difficult thing. That's a hard thing. That's something that you're going to struggle with and aspire to. But oftentimes, I don't think we look the same way towards hospitality, right? As that being this, having people like in your life as being just as equally of a hard and difficult thing and just as equally of a commandment of God, right? And much less the world, because this is talking about like one another, you know? And I, I mean, we'd hope that Christians would be the easiest people to love, right? That we're all all trying to be like God, but I think sometimes it, it doesn't work out that way. And the without grumbling becomes, you know, because it's not about the people that you're being hospitable to. Um, one of my favorite passages right now is in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the whole section about like loving your enemies, um, praying for those who persecute you. But at the end, it gives the reason, right? So that we can be like our Father who is in heaven. 
it's not because of the people we're being hospitable to. That's important, right? We're, the works are important. But even if they don't receive it well, and it's hard, and we want to grumble, grumbling destroys the whole thing because it's about us being like God. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's why it puts that there without grumbling because it's with a cheerful spirit in the same way that Jesus serves us. He doesn't come to us and be like, what, again? We talked about this yesterday. Why are you still having that same sin? He's always calling us up, calling us to be better, encouraging, and to be like him means that we can never begrudge the giving of ourselves. I love that we don't grumble because he doesn't grumble. You know, even as you were saying that, like thinking what it says about the cross in Hebrews 12, too, like for the joy set before him endured the cross for the joy. Just then, it's beautiful. Well, kind of in closing, what do you guys think just as far as the way that you've seen, that you've seen hospitality reflected in the family of God? Um, I'd love any kind of closing thoughts, anything that you want to commission us with, any reminders to your own heart that have encouraged you, you think would encourage us as well. Um, I think uh, this, is, this is the place where I get to tell a story. Um, the... Uh, so when, when we were talking about hospitality, somebody told me about how hospitality is contagious. And um, I remember back when I was just beginning to follow God and going through a very transitional time that I was doing um, uh, my senior project at UK in Brian Vassalieri's living room. And we would sit at the table and I would sit too close to him. And he, it, we, had a, we had such a good time. But he, he was going through a big uh, life change. I don't have personal space issues, so, but Brian, Brian does sometimes. <laughs> the, uh, uh, but we, would, um, uh, we were sitting there, and uh, Brian um, invited me to my first Bible study. And then I, I went to another living room at the Vernon's house. And in there, you know, it was really beautiful because I found the family of God all sitting around talking about the Bible, and I never, I never had experienced that before. And uh, not only had I not experienced that, but I also came and I found a home in um, Pam and Butch's living room. And, you know, there, the, the hospitality they showed was so sweet to my heart. That like I, you know, and even now, like I don't think I realized how sweet it was until I'm like looking back at it, and just that, just so free to you know, you could stay there as long as you wanted. You know, they they were always happy to have you. You know, and it just felt like you found a, a home away from home, and I loved it. And that hospitality that they showed brought me deeper into a um, relationship with Jesus and, and the love of Christ than I had known before. Yeah, so I know for me, um, I, had a, I was really close with my family growing up. I moved up to Lexington uh, after high school, uh, just had a job up here, and um, started going to a different church up here. Um, and there's a family called the Karosics who let me be part of their family, essentially. They lived just a, a few miles down from the, the apartment I was staying in. And like Friday nights, they had a Friday night was a living room night. They'd all they had four kids. They all camped out in the living room. They watched movies. They put a bunch of like pillows and stuff on the floor, and everybody just slept in the living room. And I was invited to that. Super cool. 
Like, they would just, um, sometimes I would just come over and be like, hey, we're leaving, but if you want to, like, just lock the door on your way out. Uh, just making me feel, not even, like, as a, a guest, that, like, the workings of the house were almost, like, hidden from, because sometimes that's what happens, right? It's like, oh, we have a guest. We're going to act like we have a guest. But making me a part, part of the family, part of the home. Love their kids to this day, you know, and uh, got to have some really good conversations with the dad. A lot of what I'm hoping to be able to do with my family and my children comes out of conversations I had with him talking about because I recognized that he, he just loved his children so well. And I wouldn't have seen those aspects of it if I hadn't gotten that, that proximity. So in, in my mind, I, it was every so often I think we all see somebody living in a certain way, particularly be like, I want to be like that. I've, had, I've seen people like, I want to be able to give like that person. I want to be able to, and this was, I want to be able to welcome people into my home like the Kurosics welcomed me. Because through no fault of my own and no fault of theirs, I was just physically farther from home than I'd been before. And they were just so gracious to be like, you're part of the family of God, de facto, that makes you a part of our family, and we're going to actually treat you that way. Um, so that's kind of the, been one of the, and I have dozens of other examples, but they're all just that over and over and over again. So That's awesome. Well, guys, thank you all so much just for opening up your hearts from the world and for the ways that you've opened up your lives and your homes and demonstrating that. So uh, thank you, guys. And we're going we're gonna to end in kind of a unique way today. I've got, um, I'm going to kind of walk us through. I'm going I'm to play a song for you. I'll let you guys can head back to your seats. Sorry, I won't make you sit up here and listen to me sing right up close. Um, I'm going to play a song for you that's a song I wrote a little while ago. Um, it's kind of processing through it. Uniquely, I, I find one of the... One of the strangest and yet most beautiful examples of godly hospitality I think I actually see in the life of Judas Iscariot. And so we're going to talk about Judas for a second, and I'm going to sing about him. And as we do, I'm going to invite you all to, um, to come and to celebrate communion. And uniquely enough, this story actually comes from the original communion story. Is this one on too? Here, give me the Turn that one on. Here we go. Here we go. All right. So John chapter 13. John chapter 13 is the story of, of the, the first communion. It's, it's when uh, they're around the table. And Jesus, is, um, Jesus is with his disciples. He's telling them that someone's going to betray him. He foretells Peter's denial. He's talking about Judas. But before that, something else really special happens and I'd, I'd never noticed this. I was talking to my buddy, Zach Mirkreebs, and he was kind of talking about just the way that God uniquely dignified Judas Iscariot, which when I first heard that, I was like, say what? Like, this doesn't sound good, you know? Judas is the one who was prophesied from long before Jesus' arrival in the Old Testament. It's going to be the one that was going to betray him. It was the one that would be used uniquely. It says even that Satan enters into him during the context of the story. He betrays him for 30 pieces of silver, if you remember the way that the story unfolds. But something really cool happens right before. At the very beginning in John chapter 13, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And he says, you know, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but you'll understand afterwards. And Peter said, well, don't just wash my feet. Like, man, what? Um, first he says, you I don't deserve you to wash my feet. And he's like, no, I, I have to do this. And Peter said, well, wash my whole body. So Jesus says, look, for the one who's bathed, doesn't need to wash except for his feet. 
It's completely clean. And you're clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And when he had washed their feet, put on his outer garment, and resumed his place, he said, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, so I am. If then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Guys, it hit me as what happens after this is one of my favorite sections of all of God's word, John chapter 14 to 17, concludes with Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane, followed immediately by his betrayal and his arrest, his crucifixion, his resurrection from the dead, and all that we know and celebrate as the gospel. But right before this, Jesus washes all of the disciples' feet. And I was talking to my buddy Zach one day, and he was talking about the way that Jesus dignified Judas at the end of his life. And I was like, that seems like a really uncomfortable word to use, to dignify the betrayer. And all of a sudden, I'm reading John 13 one day, and it hits me. When Judas ran to the chief priests to betray Jesus and get his 30 pieces of silver, he ran there with clean feet. And right before he goes to betray the Son of God, the Son of God gets down on his knees in front of him and washes his feet. And even as he's going, I don't know if you all remember the way this unfolds, but um, Judas gets up to leave. Jesus says, go do what you must do. And he's leaving the room. And the disciples, it says, are like, I wonder where he's going. And one of them assumes... I bet he's going to give money to the poor. And Jesus sitting there knowing what is happening doesn't correct him and allows the men around the table to assume that Judas, as he's going to betray the Son of God, is going to do a righteous act. And I remember thinking, like, this is offensive to me. And yet... Yet I think it's one of the most beautiful examples we have of biblical hospitality. Jesus treated enemies like family, even when they were going to choose to remain enemies. He washed Judas' feet, dignified him in his going. And the way at the end of that chapter, what happens right after that is John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I'm the way. And the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you'd known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. That night around the table, uh, Judas got to be part of that first communion service. He got to get his feet washed, and he betrayed the Son of God. I remember a couple years ago, I was thinking through the life of the story of Judas, and there's another part of of the tale that happens later at the arrest where Judas comes with, this cohort, you know, of, of guards and authorities, police officers in essence, sent by the chief priests. And they come to arrest Jesus. 
They come to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Judas walks up to him, and he kisses his cheek to denote this is who it is that you're to take. And they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And one of the gospel narratives says it like this, that Jesus says, I am he. And that when he spoke, he spoke with the authority of deity. And because of that, no one could remain standing. And they all fall, fall on their backs. I mean, like, then they're all, just, I just want to imagine that scene. Like if you're one of these soldiers just sent out at night, like, okay, hopefully I'm getting some overtime pay. Here I am working in the middle of the night. I go to get this guy. Like, obviously, he's not going to be much of a threat. The dude's clearly never been, never raised a hand. He's this unbelievable, like, he literally preaches and demonstrates peace the way no one ever has. And they're going to arrest him. Shouldn't be a lot to worry about. They get there. He says a three-word sentence. And all of a sudden, without knowing how they got there, they're lying flat on their backs. And Judas was with them. And what hit me was this moment. This moment of Judas lying flat on his back with the wind knocked out of him, looking up at the sky. And we know that at some point during the course of that evening, there was an awareness of what he had done. Because he goes back to the chief priest and he says, hey, i I got to give this money back. I, I can't believe that I've betrayed the Son of God. And they say, we can't take it back. And Judas leaves that room, leaves the money there, leaves that room and goes and he hangs himself. And it's a, if there's ever a heart-wrenching story in the Word of God, in the New Testament, I, I think it would be Judas's. And yet, as I sat there and I thought through, man, what, it, what does it mean for me to, to really, really lean into what there is to learn from the life of Judas Iscariot? And I hope what he teaches me is, guys, like, God has treated you gloriously unfair. I mean, in a way, in a way that we are always underestimating. One of the things I've been loving lately, I tell people this a lot, is, you know, I, I don't know everything that we have in common. I'm sure lots of us in this room have lots of things in common, lots of things different. But the one thing that I know, do you know, we are actually, every one of us are right now corporately committing the identical Sin, same sin. You, you are in sin right now and I am in sin right now because I am underestimating the goodness and the grandeur of who God is. You're committing it right now and you will be for the rest of your life and so will I. In a lot of ways, there's nothing worse than underestimating the goodness and the grandeur of God and yet we're all doing it. And as I sat and I was reflecting on this story and I was thinking about the hospitality of the Father, to leave heaven, come to earth, even everything that Eli celebrated just a little bit ago. I thought, man, Lord, I, I want to learn this lesson. And thankfully, there, there are two betrayers in the Word of God that I can look at. There is Judas and there is Peter. And one let the shame take his life. And he let sin do what it always wants to do, steal, kill, and destroy. And the other believed that Jesus came, that he might have life and have it to the full. And so I'm going to sing a song about my own familiarity and unfortunate similarities with uh, Judas Iscariot. And I will sing this as, a, as an invitation to you to come and to, to take communion and to remember his blood that was shed and his body that was broken. And so, Jesus, even as we sing, I ask, Lord, that you will open up our hearts, Lord, 
Open up our hearts not just to not just to be like hospitable people. Yeah, like I want to be kind, Lord, and I want to be a person who lives with a wide open heart and an open home. But Jesus, I more than that, I I want to be a man who who stares at the way that I've been loved and that I go and do likewise. I want to treat not just enemies like friends, but I want to treat enemies like family. So Jesus, right now, even as we sing, compel our hearts, Lord. Compel our hearts to the kind of gratitude for the way that we have been loved that stirs us up not just to say thank you, but to live a life that proves that we mean that thank you.